Good evening, everybody. It is good to see you guys here uh, tonight. Um, we are continuing our conversation on um, on membership. So we are in the the class itself is essentially entitled the Foundations of Mercy Hill Church, and they're found through kind of the history and theology of who we are. We've been going through and kind of giving you kind of the framework of what we believe. Um, the last several several weeks have been kind of around core theological belief systems of Mercy Hill Church. Last week, entering into a conversation about structure, uh, specifically around the idea of, of eldership. And um, today we will start having a conversation specifically about the concept of membership and how we view membership here and why we believe it is an important part of what's going on and ultimately what we really mean by membership. Um, it'll be a two-part thing. Um, today we'll be um, today we'll be going over essentially the what we've talked about in the past as as being the pillars of membership at Mercy Hill Church. So, uh, for those of you who have been around or maybe haven't been around, um, we have always kind of had a what we would say is an informal form of membership or kind of an organic form of membership. That there are basic understandings of what it means to be a part of the local body of Jesus Christ and those expectations are what you do. Like, that's just what it means. Like, it's not, it's not something I'm imposing, it's not something we're imposing, but what the Bible tells us is this is how we act within the body of Christ. And so that these are things that we all should be doing. And as long as you're doing those, we've always kind of said, well, then you're part of and a member at Mercy Hill Church. So today we'll be kind of reviewing those and talking about that concept. And then next week we'll specifically be um, going over and talking through the membership commitment that is now part of our formal uh, approach. And it'll be a lot of what you'll see next week will mirror a lot of what we're talking about this week, but it just takes it a little bit deeper and kind of impresses it a little bit more as far as the practicality of um, how this kind of plays out as we're interacting one with another. So today we enter into the conversation about church membership um, uh, directly. Um, church membership is a concept that is meant, and I, and I want you to hear this because I, I, I think it gives the, the proper framework for all of it. Church membership is a concept that is meant to be captured, meant to capture accountability in two directions, member responsibility to the body and a body's responsibility um, to the members. Um, this includes the responsibility of church leaders to members and the responsibility of church members to church leaders. So what we're trying to capture when we talk about the idea of membership is that there is, when we step into um, the relationship in the body of Christ, that relationship, it has inherent responsibility. And that responsibility is to one another. And it's to one another in, 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 couple, different, in a different, couple different contexts. So it's a relationship one to another, brother to sister, brother to brother, sister to sister, member to member. It's just us shoulder to shoulder. We have responsibility for each other and to each other. We see this spelled out lots of different ways, and we'll see that as we kind of go through the scriptures. And then there's a responsibility that the, the leadership that God, the structure that we talked about last week in eldership, those who are required to lead and to, and to shepherd the body of Christ, um, they have a responsibility to the members. And the members of the body have responsibility to the, the eldership. So what we're talking about here is Jesus Christ, when he enters us into this relationship, he establishes then for us a what I believe is a sacred relationship within that commit, um, commitment. Um, that's one of the things that I think is most important for us to understand. 
Um, and I and I think it's important to understand the very the very foundation of this. It's important to realize your membership, your your place in the body of Christ is a gift that has been given to you as a result of Jesus Christ's shed blood. You understand that? Like, like this isn't something that should be reluctant. This isn't something that should be, um, should be like, well, I don't know if I really want to be a member. I don't know if I really want to be in a kind of, I really love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And we got this thing figured out together. And so we're good. So I go and I hang out in the trees on Sunday instead of church. And, you know, there's people out there who kind of have that sort of attitude. And, and what, they, what they're doing in that attitude is they are treating, um, treating the gift of the body of Christ for one another as something to be despised. And the truth is, what Jesus Christ did is he purchased your membership in the body of Christ with his own blood. Could you imagine if you had somebody who really cared about you? Like if you had an uncle or something and they're like, I'm really worried about you. I know you've been having heart issues. And so I'm going to buy you membership at this health club with a personal trainer. And I'm going to pay like $10,000 a year so that you have a personal trainer and a personal health club. And if you, and if, can you imagine what a jerk you would be if you were like, cool, thanks. And you never went. And you're like, oh, he just wasted his $10,000, whatever. It's kind of that. Kind of like Jesus Christ purchased your membership in the body of Christ for your good, for your benefit, for your being built up. And he did it not with $10,000, but he did it with his, own, with his own flesh. He shed his blood and he broke his body so that you can have membership in this community. So it's important for us to realize that what that means is not only are we blessed with the blessings of salvation, not just the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not just the ability to go into heaven, but with the responsibility as members of the body of Christ. You see it, I think, all throughout Scripture, kind of speaking of the different, the, the different um, directions of a responsibility. Hebrews 13, 15 through 17, I, I think speaks to, a, uh, to um, uh, some of that direction. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to be good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. First Peter speaks of the relationship again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, uh, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the shepherd, and when the sh uh, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Um, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those two verses, um, those, two, those two passages, express the responsibility. First of all, in Hebrews. The responsibility that the that the congregation has to the eldership and the leadership it expresses the responsibility that elders have towards the congregation and expresses the relationship and responsibility we have one towards another 
He talks about giving to one another. He talks about clothing yourselves, humility towards one another. And so we see it woven into the story of what it is to be a part of the church. And so all of the things we're talking about now as we move into the essentially what we call the four pillars of membership at Mercy Hill Church um, are, are um, manifestations of those responsibilities. And they are asked of us, they are, they are directed of us by God as it relates to our community. Anybody have any questions to this point of anything that's been expressed? I understand it's just intro, but one of the things that I think is really important over, over this week and next week as we talk about membership is it's a great opportunity for the questions to come out. So if there's anything as we talk through this and, and you have any specific questions about what this means, it's really good for you to take this opportunity to ask the questions. We want everybody to feel very confident and comfortable with what the expectations are of you, what the expectations are of leadership, what the expectations we have total in community, so that when we make a commitment one to another, it's sure. It's not something where it's like, well, I didn't realize that. So please feel free to ask any of the questions as we go through. Um, the, first, the first pillar of membership at Mercy Hill Church um, has always been attend regularly. Um, the truth is the Christian life requires gathering one with another. Um, you cannot fulfill all of the different instructions one with another if we're not to gather together in community. There are so many things throughout scripture that says that, that calls us to different things. You know, there, there's things that we just read here, like giving to one another and being subject to one another and, and expressing humility one to another. And, and, and you have to understand as you read these passages, so often in our, in our, in our culture specifically, um, we kind of take these and we just apply them across the board, right? Like when it says, um, um, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Um, you understand that he's talking to the church here. Like a lot of times we read that and we're like, oh, you know, we as, we as, we as people should be, have humility one towards another. And we kind of press that off into all relationships. But that's not what it's specifically referring to here. These are letters to the church in how to respond within the church. Now, there are other passages in, in, in the epistles that will expand that and talk about, talk about uh, beyond the walls and talks about the idea of, that, uh, of have, being of good report within, with, within the community or or being, or being um, gracious to all people. Um, but these instructions here are, how do we act one towards another? So when you read that, you're like, well, how can I even engage in that if I'm not engaging in being together, uh, gathering one with another? Um, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 um, speaks uh, to this very, th this very idea. Um, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's really hard to be a Christian and, and hold the posture that many Christians hold, which is we, you don't really have to go to church. I mean, we have a lot of people who, who hold that. Now, in, in a basic sense, um, do you have to go to church to be a Christian and go to heaven? Probably not. But number one, what you would be, and I believe what you're being is you're being a disobedient Christian because he specifically says, do not neglect gathering together. 
And number two, there is no question in my mind you will be a struggling Christian. Because the strength and the power of the community of Christ is given for a reason. If Jesus Christ believed that it was, okay, that it was possible for us to just kind of survive as Christians without any Christian support, without any Christian fellowship, without any Christian engagement, he wouldn't have made this important. He would have just been, okay, cool, cool, go do your thing. So Hebrews directly talks about the idea of gathering one with another. Ephesians 5.19 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's speaking here about, he's speaking here specifically about what we see take place all the time when we gather as the church, right? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Um, where do you do that? Where do you do that? You do that in the, in the community of believers. You do that in the gathering. You do that as we come together. That this is the specific things that's being the specific thing that is being talked about here. Because um, understand something: addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Nobody here, when you read that, you, you don't believe that he's saying that the idea is he that he wants you to walk through life going, "Hi, how are you?" Greeting one another with song, right? That's not what he's saying here. So what is he saying? What he's, what he's talking about here is in the gathering up together, as we sing songs of praise, as we sing songs of worship to each other, there is, a, there is something that is, that is encouraging, that is faith building, that is building up. As we hear brothers and sisters next to us, as we're being greeted by brothers and sisters, lifting up songs, lifting up worship, to God, it builds us up and encourages us. It allows us to see brothers and sisters in Christ going through the struggles of life, focusing in on and, and acknowledging the glory of God. There is something that is important that is woven into that encouragement. So even as that, as a part of our gathering together, forsake not together, the assembling to, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. And then when you, when you, when you back that up, with Psalms 5 is what he's saying. He's like, this is what's taking place when you come in and you gather together. And it's not, it, it's not a rarity, this idea of the, the Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in community. We've talked about this. We've talked about this as we, we've had conversations about Spirit-led, right? We look in that passage in 1 Corinthians, and one of the things he says, some, some have a teaching, some have a hymn or a song. It, this All throughout the New Testament, what we see as the as the model of church that we're doing today is not that, that separated from or is not that different than the way in which they worshiped 2,000 years ago at the inauguration of the church because those elements are important. So um, it is important to attend regularly. One of the things that each one of us as members of the body of Christ should want to be held accountable to is regular attendance. Like if you're like, hey, I'm a member of Mercy Hill Church, and then we don't see you for five weeks in a row, there shouldn't be any, um, you, you shouldn't be offended if an elder who is given responsibility for your spiritual well-being comes up to you and goes, hey guys, we haven't seen you for a while. What's going on? 
shouldn't take offense to that because your spiritual health um, is dependent upon not forsaking the assembling together of yourselves and those who care about you and those who want good for you and those who've been entrusted with your, with your spiritual well-being should come up to you and ask you that question. Now, listen, if you're, if you're gone on vacation and things come up and you're getting sick or whatever else, cool, it happens. And that's cool. And that's what we're asking about. But if it's just like, and you know, everybody who's trying to avoid church or trying to avoid accountability, they get offended that you ask questions like that, right? Um, and if you get offended, that probably should be a red flag to you, that maybe your heart and your attitude aren't where they should be. So the first point here is to attend regularly. And, it, and it's not a, it, this is not us trying to get our, our attendance up. And this is not us willy-nilly throwing it out there. As I say, you can walk through these passages and it seems very clear that it is, that it is incumbent upon us to make this a practice for our spiritual health and spiritual well-being. Any thoughts or questions as it relates to that? Everybody feel like we made the case that you should attend church regularly? Good, good. Um, so Jesse will be given the, ch- the task of making, taking attendance, making sure you're here. So um, second of all, it is give faithfully. Uh, Jesus Christ in Matthew 6 declares, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The truth being declared by Christ here is that our spending reflects our values. The church is meant to be a priority for the members of the body of Christ. It, it, provi- it is a provision for, the, for ministers and a provision for the advancement of the gospel. And each of those should be near and dear the hearts of every Christian. The responsibility of members of God's church to give of their finances is very, very um, clearly woven into the, um, the word of God. So the starting point that I'm expressing here as it relates to the Christian experience is um, the need to give. Uh, Jesus Christ essentially goes, listen, I can tell what you're passionate about um, based on your willingness to give, based on what you're putting your money into. He says, I can tell. I can tell what you're passionate about. I can tell what you care about. That, that's where your heart is. That's where, your, that's where your concepts are. That's where your thinking is. That's where your values are. And so just as a starting point, Jesus Christ says, I can look at your, your pocketbook, I can look at your checkbook, I can look at your checking account and tell how much you value the things of God, okay? And when we talk about this, what we see as a, as a continual um, expectation is that those funds that are given to the church are directed towards specific things and, and are to be made available for specific things. Um, when you look in, um, uh, and I don't have it here. I got to look it up real quick. First uh, Thessalonians um, chapter five. For some reason, I skipped that one. First Thessalonians chapter five, um, starting starting in um, verse eleven through fourteen. Um, it says. Um, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 
So he starts in this with a conversation that revolves around um, the idea of focusing in. I'm actually, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. I should be in. I it should be in Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians nine. That's why I couldn't see it. It's down further on the page. So. As we go from what Jesus Christ said to the instruction to the church in, in Corinthians, what, is, what does it say? The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely... He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Fortunately, I wish I'd jumped to that right away because that's really important. There's a ton of stuff being expressed in this particular passage, okay? Um, the starting point is the encouragement to generous giving. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And, and this is an across-the-board kind of idea. This is an across-the-board kind of idea. Whenever we give a little bit, we won't, we'll receive back a little bit. When we give a lot, we'll receive back a lot. Uh, a lot of times I've been very hesitant and resistant um, a lot of times to lay this out as a part of, of um, the economy of God. Um, you know, there's a lot of preachers out there who are basically make, make tithing or giving a kind of the um, spiritual investment plan where it's like, you know, you can never outgive God. You'll get, you'll return back 10 times, whatever you sow in. And so the whole idea becomes people become very fixated on the idea of um, I want to give so I can get. If I give, then I'll get more back. And that's a really, that's a really unhealthy approach. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I've kind of shied away from, from it over the years as in ministry, um, focusing on this. But the truth is that economy of God is real. That economy of God is real. When we give generously, God will give back to us generously. This is what he's saying to us. Now, as you, as you continue on, he tells you what he's giving you back to do, right? He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. And, he, and, 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 what he's, what, and he's saying, and you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which us will produce thanksgiving to God. So what he's saying is, as you give generously, God will give back to you generously so that you can what? Give generously. The whole idea is that you have a heart that says, what I have doesn't belong to me. It's for the work of the kingdom of God. And that's tied directly to what Paul is saying here, because Paul is specifically talking about the ministry he's doing. That's why when it says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in the many thanksgivings to God. He's specifically talking about you guys are giving generously so that I can go forward and I can, and I can preach the gospel and the righteousness of God is going forward. So he's talking specifically about this idea of giving to the work of the gospel. So when we come into the church as members of the body of Christ, we have a, we have a responsibility to say, my money, 
my finances, my, what I have, my resources are all for God. I'm going to give them generously. And as God blesses me, then I'm going to give generously. As God blesses me, I'm going to give generously. And so we are looking at this as it is, it is incumbent upon us as the church. And as I say, specifically here, he's talking about the idea of the work of the gospel, the work of ministry. So the, so the work of the church is to be supported by members of the body who give generously, who then God will give to generously so that they can give generously. Does that make sense? The second point here gets um, to, another, to another piece um, um, that we are giving to, and it's important for us to see this as a part of it too, 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul, throughout his ministry, was, was very willing to go into communities, and uh, we all heard Paul was a tent maker, right? And Paul was willing in, in, to go into communities at times, work another job, and supply his needs by working another job. But in doing that, Paul was not establishing that as the means by which ministers should be taken care of or the means by which ministers should be provided for. He was at times going into certain circumstances and certain situations and saying, listen, I don't want to be a burden here, and I want to model for you something here. That's not supposed to be necessarily the standard. In fact, it's not supposed to be the standard. The standard being ministers should look at things and say, what is best for the ministry of the gospel? That's the standard he's using. But it's not supposed to be a standard where the church says, and I've seen people do this, well, Paul went in and Paul, Paul didn't get paid. He just worked at tents and church pastors who, try, who, want, who want to get paid and blah, blah, blah is not, is not in order what you see in the first century church. Well, that's not true. This is what Paul is specifically talking about. I don't know that he could be any, any clearer than that. Um, let the elders who rule well to be considered worthy of double honor. Now, there's two different ways in which that's, that's, that's read. On the one hand, it's read as um, that, that they should be honored as elders, honored as leaders, in, like having spiritual honor being bestowed upon them, that people look at them and say, I respect them as elders in, my, in, in, my, in, my, in the body of Christ. And they should be able to be paid. So the office, the respect, and, and, and enumeration, remuneration, um, double honor. Um, there are some who read that to mean that, the, that he is worthy of being paid double of what is normal. And that's actually, that is actually one way in which that's read. We actually, had, we actually had somebody in our congregation come up to us and go, I believe you guys are worthy of being paid double. I'm going to be praying you guys, you guys make double what everybody else makes. And I said, well, if you want that to happen, don't just pray, start giving. And, uh, but, and then he pushes in and he says, you shall, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, the labor deserves his wages. So when we encourage you to give to this church for the purpose of, uh, uh, of moving forward the gospel and for, uh, and for supplying salaries for the, for the staff and the pastors and those who are ministering, it's entirely appropriate in accordance with the word of God. And it is entirely the responsibility that each one of us has to the ministry of this church. Um, and understand, we all support. I mean, I, I tithe and I, I tithe plus at, to Mercy Hill Church um, because I believe that's the standard that God has, has laid out for me. Um, 
So this is where we encourage. Does anybody have any, any questions as it relates to the concept of giving faithfully? No? So nobody here, even though I said the word tithe, has a question in the back of their mind saying, do we believe in tithing and should we all give 10%? Nobody has that question? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 So you can check her for attendance. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so I have a, we, um, we have a uh, fairly, that's the right word, um, uh, fairly loose, I guess, um, interpretation as it relates to tithe, period. Um, I believe that you have a responsibility to your church to support your local body. I think that's foundational. Um, I think if you're going to apply the concept of tithe, I think it is appropriate to go, if you're going to talk about a tithe, that would go into the local storehouse, the local church. Now, the concept around tithe in general, though, um, um, I tithe, like I just said, I tithe and then some. Like, that's that's my standard. I use tithe as the baseline for giving, and I, the reason I use tithe as the baseline for giving is, um, first first of all, the New Testament doesn't talk specifically about tithing, but what I always, but what I believe, what we see in the from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant was never to do less than, but he he calls us to a higher standard. So when he talks about you know in, in the Bible uh, not to commit adultery, but I tell you if you look upon a, on a, upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your own heart, or, or not to murder, but if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. I think what you see through Jesus Christ's ideas, he's like, he's like, don't, don't set the law standard, go beyond the law standard. And that's one of the reasons why I tend not to push the tithe, because I don't ever want anybody to be like, I don't want anyone to ever be like, um, oh, I've, I've just got to do my thing. I'm going to, ma- I, this is what the law says, I have to do 10%, and so I'll do my 10%. And that's it. And I think that it, it fosters a legalism that I don't think is 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 appropriate. Um, now, I think you can come to the tithe in the way that I do, which is listen. The Old Testament was a tithe. I want to be that. I want to use that at least as my baseline because because the that that's what the Old Covenant did. I can go above and beyond that. So if I'm below that point, I don't feel like I'm doing um, what I should be doing. That's a me personal kind of thing. I think it's a, I think it's a reasonable mindset for us to take as Christians. In addition to that, if you the one time in which really the the tithe was even addressed by Jesus Christ is when he's rebuking the the um, the Pharisees. Remember, he says, "You guys, you guys even tithe your mint um, and and mint and what was the other mint and it says two things there." All right, well. Really good pastoring we're doing. Um, when Jesus says, you guys even tithe your mint and your 
he says it to the Pharisees when he's rebuking them. You don't remember it? It's fine. It's no big deal. You guys know what I'm talking about, though, the pastor I'm talking about, though, in general? Yeah. He goes to them and he says, what, what is it? Yeah, it's the spices, but it's but he uses two specific, well, whatever. Your spices. Yeah, yeah I don't remember what it is. But anyways, it, so you guys even tied your spices. And do you know what Jesus says after that? Do you know what he says right after that? He says what you should do. So Jesus had the opportunity to say, tithing's not necessary. But he doesn't. Um. And so to me, it's like, I don't see it as a legalistic thing, um, but I think it's a good starting point is how I kind of see it. And I think if you're going to use that tithe as that idea, it should go into the church that you're, that you're ministering at. Um, and, um, and the other thing I want to say on that is um, even in saying that, I do understand that many of us can find ourselves in, in real legitimate financial situations where giving of your finances uh, is, is burdensome to the point where um, you're not able to provide for your, for your family and for, for yourself. Um, at that point, I think it is appropriate to look at and go, I just don't have money to give here. Um, now, God may still call you to give even out of, your, out of your not having. He may call you to do that. And then you do that in faith with the believing that God will come and answer that need. But... I also believe that the church is established to help those in our congregation who are struggling financially, who have need. So one of the things I've always said over the, this, the, the history of our church is, um, is, it is um, you should always be participating financially at Mercy Hill Church in your church. You should either be giving or receiving. If you're in a, such a position that you do not have the finances to give, then you should be coming to the church and receiving so we can bless you. Um, and if, you're, um, and if you don't need that, then you should see it as your responsibility to be giving. Um, there are so many people who are like, well, I can't, I don't, you know, they, I don't, can't afford it. I can't afford to give anything, but they'll never come and ask. And what's happening there is that's a pride thing then. That's something that's taking place. But that's what we're here as the body of Christ to care for one another. So you should always be, you should always be participating in the economy of the church. Um, any other questions? From that? I think I think what Dustin asked is, does the yeah, and I think what I said is, if you're gonna if you're if you're living in the tithe realm, if you're asking a question specifically about tithe, and you're using that as your as your as your metric, the tithe should go to the local storehouse, should go to the church. Again, it's a it's a, and then anything that you want to do above and beyond that, you would do outside the outside the body. Um, now again, that it's depending upon the framework of tithe and, and how you approach that even. But if you're going to use that idea and you're going to and you're going to um, accept that as your standard, I think that's how script, the scriptures teaches it. Yes, I think that's if you're if you're going to draw it from the Old Testament. Yes, yeah, I think if you're going to draw it from the old, the, the 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 passage that is generally used. For that now again, it's it's a bit comp. That's one of the reasons why I don't, I don't necessarily like. I'm like there, it's a it's an open kind of question as you go forward. Um, but I think if you if you look at what the Old Testament is talking about, the the tie that they're referring to as it relates to that deals with the support of the temple. 
it's not being used out there. It's the, it's the support of the temple. It's to take care of the priests and that who are, who are ministering to the people who are there. It doesn't go anywhere else. Um, people can help the other people can help. Like you can help the, like there's, there's instruction in scripture to help the, help the foreigner and to help, help the poor and to help those types of people. Well, you're not in that context allowed to go, well, the tie that's required for the temple, just take it out of that and give it over there. So if you're using that context, that's why I would say it's not. Again, it's, it's a multi-layered thing because if you go to the Old Testament and all that, there's a bunch more in there than just kind of that standard. Yeah, it's necessary for the church to to function, and and here's the reality: um, if we as a church, as if we as church members, um, were given, so you know, we every church I know ministers outside does does global ministry. I mean, almost every church I know gives to missions. We give to missions and whatever else. Huh? What's that? I just, every church I know gives to yeah. yeah. So um, so. Um, the, the idea is that, um, if everybody in our church tithed, trust me, global missions would be very, 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 very well blessed. Like if everybody in our congregation was tithing, our budget would safely be 80% more than what we, what we get as a whole, do you think? Yeah. So I know, I'm sorry. I brought it. You don't want to talk about it. Uh, but Yeah. So, like, that's one of the things that, like, so when people are like, well, we go over here, we go over there. It's like, well, if you're, like, if you really, if everybody tied, then it was like, we would be blessing missionaries in that, like, crazy. Because we just wouldn't need it. Like, and. Yeah. So, and the other thing too is specifically here with us, it's like one of those things where like we have people all the time come up to us and go, Hey, I've got a friend and we got this missions outreach and we got this mission thing going on. Could the church um, um, consider giving to that? And almost every time we end up, because for us, foundationally, if you guys remember, we talk about missions and it's relationship is a top priority of what we give to. So, when members of our congregation know somebody, we're like, Oh, let's help, you know. Relationship is a hard, large part of it. Alrighty, uh, number three: engage in community. The requirements of Christian engagement go far beyond sitting in an auditorium receiving spiritual feeding. It requires knowing one another on a personal, le- personal enough level to confess one another, pray for one another, meet each other's needs, and carry each other's burdens. Um, being a part of the church requires a level of intimacy uh, that uh, um, others. Uh, there's a level of intimacy that cannot be achieved through simple large group attendance. Um, as I read earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 4 through 14, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you and Lord admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Um, and, and in Galatians, I'll, I'll add that too, because I, right away, because I think they, they buttress this really nicely. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you, you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So as you read all of those encouragements in 1 Thessalonians and then in Galatians, how do you do that if you're not actually engaged in community? How is that even possible? Like if you don't know the people, how many people know that a large percentage of American Christians see going to church as I, I show up five minutes after the songs start, I sit either in the back or in the balcony, I leave as soon as the first dismissal or last dismissal is given. I maybe shake a hand with somebody out the door. I get in my car and I drive away. And then I come back and do that the next Sunday. Can you do any of this if that's your engagement in the church? There's absolutely no way. There's absolutely no way. There is an intimacy of relationship that is instructed, that is given that you have to live out. Um, what, is, what is it to not, to not do what the Bible tells you to do? What, what would you put on that? What would you call that? Not doing what the Bible tells you to do. What is it? Disobedience, sin, right? Is that what those things are? Have I read you things that the Bible specifically says, do this? Right? Like, this isn't like ambiguous stuff, is it? Like, it's really straightforward. Forsake not together the assembling of yourselves. So if you do forsake the assembling together of yourselves, what is it? Disobedience. Disobedience to God's word. If it says, encourage one another, build one another up. It says to admonish one another. It says to esteem highly those who are, who are put over you in leadership. It says to, um, if, if someone's caught in a transgression, you should restore them to gentleness. It says to bear one another's burdens. If you are a believer in Christ and none of that is taking place, you have to understand, you are not in obedience to God's word, which is rebellion. Go ahead. I just want to uh, give a shout out to the, the pay passes. I'm off, I'm off camera. Uh, because... Um, I feel like for a lot of people, this is like a crazy chasm to cross, like how to, how to go from anonymity church, uh, or even like casual participation to getting involved and people knowing you and like pouring into others and all, all the things that Tommy was just referencing. And there was a distinct difference between when you guys were in the mode of like attending and like kind of casually, whatever. And then you in, within your marriage, you made a decision, probably a conversation, right? Okay. You had a conversation maybe a prayerful conversation, and you decided to be more plugged into community. And then after that, you guys were like here after every Sunday, like kind of locking up with me. And so real quick off camera, I'm going to hand you the microphone and just like give us a couple paragraphs, Scott, maybe, uh, maybe Taylor on what that looked like to force yourselves to do something that like probably most Americans won't do, but it is the thing that Tommy was just talking about. Uh, it was funny because actually what Tommy just described about like walking in, walking out, 
shaking a hand was us in our Minneapolis church that we were at in Minneapolis. And we found ourselves that Taylor just turned to me and she's like, that was us. I was like, that was us. Um, and we moved down here to Milwaukee. We were, you know, we had a great Bible study in, in Minneapolis, but the actual church involvement I'd say was minimal. We had a little community group that we were a part of. Um, and we found ourselves doing it again here and really did not want that. Um, we felt like, it was easy. Once we got into it in, in our life up in Minneapolis, then it became part of our life to not grow it. Like it would have required an interruption to schedule for further commitment of our time. Um, but there was also a distinct lacking of something was just missing that whole time when we were up there. Um, yeah. And we, yeah, like we were still like, I think Tommy said, like, can you not go to church and be a Christian? Sure. Maybe. But I think what looking in hindsight, if we were being disobedient Christians and that was impacting our ability to, to really grow and see the Lord work in our life the way we wanted. <laughs> we just started talking. Well, yeah, well, and it was actually, we were just about to have our first kiddo too. Um, yeah, we knew we wanted to be more plugged in for that, have our child raised in it. That was also the begin, beginning of the pandemic. We were honestly, a big part of it was that we had our first kid, we were isolated. And part of the reason we were isolated is we weren't plugged into a community the way we would have liked to be when the rest of the world shut down. And so we came back in that July with a vengeance of meeting people, staying, being known, and committing our time. So that way we would, yeah, not face that isolation. And I think the spiritual growth, we've turned to each other many times since committing that time and that effort and that vulnerability to be known uh, has paid dividends in spiritual growth. Yeah, it's just a really practical example of that. Also, shout out to Kevin Kata, who uh, looked up Matthew 23. It's dill, mint, and cumin. There we go. You got got two of them. I got mint, you got dill, and cumin. So between us, we know the Bible. Jesse didn't even know mint was in there, though. So... Um, And then finally, uh, find a place of ministry. Um, All members of God's church are called to be ministers of his gospel. Within the body of Christ, the church, each of us um, is to bring our gifts for the building up and edification of the body. And when we do not engage using our gifts for the growth, growth of the body of Christ, the body suffers. We are all members of the body of Christ. That, that idea, that last phrase, there is something you have to bring into your relationship in the body of Christ. We are all members of the body of Christ. And he goes in and he specifically talks about, it, talks about the idea of if, if one's not doing what they're doing, the whole body suffers. I've used this, I've used this illustration before. My dad, um, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and after about six years of struggling in that because of the treatment, he ended up losing the, the use of his legs and everything in his life was harder. Everything, all the rest of his body functioned properly, his arms and his chest and his, and his lungs and his, heart and his brain and his eyes and his ears, all those things function properly. But because he used, he lost the use of his legs, everything he did was harder. You have to look at that as, as the reality of the body of Christ and the function of the body of Christ. It's the same thing. When God says, I have established you as a part of this body, he then gives you a gifting, a call to ministry. And when you choose not to do that, the whole body suffers. It's not just, it's not just a portion of it. Ephesians 4 talks about this very idea and says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry 
for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature to manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, for some of you guys remember, I taught on this uh, a little while ago. And what you have to see there is he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. What are they equipping the saints for? For the work of the ministry. So who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints. The job of the pastors and the overseers uh, are, are not to do the work of the ministry. They're to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And then all the rest that you read after that is what is, what is the manifestation of a body that is full of people doing the work of the ministry. All the manifestations there, when, when, he, when he's talking about um, to mature to manhood, to the measure of the statue of fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes, rather speaking truth and love, all those kinds of things, they're not, they're not the outflow of the, uh, of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. They're the outflow of them equipping the saints to do the ministry, and then all this happens. So when we're not stepping into that role, what's happening is the church is not functioning exactly the way it should. And that's what 1 Corinthians 12 is pushing, what I just said earlier. For just as the body is, is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of, the, of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So we are all members of the body of Christ. We all bring something to the body of Christ. Some people are the hands, some people are the eyes, some people are the foot, some people are the tongue, some people are. And when, and when each person does not do their job, the whole body suffers. And where does it suffer? It suffers in it not being built up. It, is, it suffers in not the unity of the faith. It, it, it suffers in not, not, not achieving the stature of the fullness of God. It, it, it suffers in being tossed to and fro. Because the function of the saints doing the work is what assures that, is what brings that to reality. And, and there's so much within there that is us just going, I am going shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in Christ to minister. Period. It's finding that place of ministry, being used in a way in which you're building community in that, and you're being used of God then to touch people's lives, and it builds you up. That's part of why you, you keep from getting tossed to and fro. It's part of what allows you to kind of know who God is, is God is working in you to do the work of the ministry. You begin to go, he's real, he's working, he's incredible. So everybody who's a member of Mercy Hill Church should find a place of ministry. And it, 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 it doesn't have to be as a teacher. It doesn't have to be as a um, worship leader or, or running a community group. But you'd be finding a place of ministry, period, and then seeing that as your opportunity to bless people for the sake of the kingdom of God. And through that, God builds you up and builds up the body of Christ.